Welcome to Thrive in the Future podcast, positive solutions to help you thrive, designing your intentional life, homesteading, gardening, and rediscovering culture and tradition. Are you thriving this summer? Join the Thriving Community Telegram group where we share our real-world successes and failures on homesteading, gardening, and designing your intentional life at signup.thriveinthefuture.com. Want to create a food force and grow three to five times more food with less maintenance? Go check out Will Horvath's free food forest toolkit. It's a free download. What you get, how to create a food forest step-by-step implementation checklist, a site survey checklist on how to read the landscape and analyze your site, five plug-and-play permaculture guild examples that you can copy and recreate in your food forest. This is similar to the Apple Guild that I used and the exact layout planning guide that Will used when establishing his food forest. So how do you get it? Go to permacultureapprentice.com slash food dash forest dash toolkit dash Scott. Long URL, but it's worth it. It's a free toolkit. Go and download it. Welcome back to Thrive in the Future. This week I have Ryan Mitchell Brown from Decentralized Radio Podcast on to talk about his health journey through autoimmune disease and as anything with health, have to give the disclaimer that this is personal information. Consult with your medical and health practitioner and make your own decisions. Let's get to the episode. Okay, welcome back to Thrive in the Future. This week I have Ryan from Decentralized Radio. Thanks for having me on, man. It's 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 been such a good time chatting with you. I had a really fun conversation with you over with Tristan on our podcast, and I know I know you've talked to Tristan. In fact, he's messaging me right now. I know, uh, I you know you talked to him, and he's got a crazy healing story too. But I appreciate you giving me, giving the time to come and chat on your show this time. Sure. Well, welcome. Thanks. Thanks a lot for joining me. So you've had a, quite a bit of posts here lately with tips and some of the health journey that you've had. Give me a little bit of background on that. Yeah. So I'll give you the medium version of my story because we have enough time. We have okay. it's podcast. So it's not, it doesn't have to be too, too condensed, but it's funny for me, my, my real uh, sort of evolution into health came when I was in my late teens and I had just gone through probably the worst breakup that I'd ever gone through in my life. And I, I was in that moment that I sort of decided, Hey, you know, stuff's sort of falling apart. What can I sort of take control of? What can I sort of get back? I was trying to find my groove again. And for me, I'd always been been, been passionate about fitness and health to a, a very simple degree as far as like what you can learn in school and stuff like that. And so I decided what I was going to take control of was, was my health. I was going to start hitting the gym more, uh, start watching what I eat, and then – uh, it actually sort of spiraled out of control. I actually ended up in a spot where I developed an eating disorder from, from it. I basically become so had become so obsessive with what I ate, how I worked out that it actually became, uh, sort of my destruction in a way. And this was around 2015, 2016. I was, uh, 88 pounds at my worst and it was it was sort of a weird conundrum to be in because I had never I had never been really body dysmorphic until that point. And it came out of this this really bad relationship that I had just gotten out of. And um it's it's sort of amazing how how your mind can just sort of turn against you 
in sort of uh, you're trying to do your best, you're trying to get healthier, but you ended up you end up giving yourself sort of the worst health you've ever had, and and not in the normal sense of normally you hear stories like this and they sort of like gain a bunch of you gain a bunch of weight or sort of fall off the other end. And for me, it was the opposite end of the spectrum. In my mind, I was getting healthier, but what was actually happening was I was actually becoming extremely nutrient deficient, um, destroying my bone density, my hormones were crashing. And then this sort of opened up a whole new door of me of like, oh no, now I need to fix this. Um, and this was far before I ever dealt with the mental the mental aspect of, of my disorder. That would be years later that I come back to it. So I eventually sort of get into the right mindset to quote, as I call it in the eating disorder community, weight restore. Mm -hmm. And I did this through means that at the time were uh, socially acceptable in, in that medical space, which was basically eat anything you want till you're not 88 pounds anymore. And so I did that. But what I noticed is even after I weight restored, got up to about 140 pounds, which for me is like five, nine is kind of like still towards the bottom end, but not, not crazy unhealthy now. Um, I noticed that all the things that I thought would come back to me, my energy, um, my sex drive, uh, my vitality really that was supposed to come back. Didn't. Mm -hmm. And I, I still felt like crap and this carried on for several years up until about 2019. So a good, I, I probably, I weight restored in 2016. So I really was only massively underweight for, a year max. And then I sort of started pulling myself out of it. There were bumps along the way, but nothing crazy. I, I have friends who have had much more intense stories of like battling being drastically underweight for like a decade. And that can just wreak insurmountable havoc on your body. And this is probably 2019 now. So about uh, four or five years, four years later, or three, four years later. And um, I started developing neuropathy in my left hand. And then within a month, it spread to my entire body. So I was feeling like tingling what I thought was carpal tunnel at the time. Within a month from July to August, it spread from my hand to my whole body. So this begins like a whole gamut of testing. I'm going to seeing every doctor I can. I'm trying to get in with neurologists and all this crazy stuff. Eventually I get diagnosed with autoimmune, uh, something called autoimmune small fiber neuropathy. They actually called it, um, I went to Boston Mass Hospital uh, in January, 2020. So about six months after I started having symptoms and they told me I had something called basically juvenile autoimmune small fiber neuropathy. Juvenile because I was young, I was 23. And then autoimmune because I had a marker called TSHDS, which was an autoimmune marker for small fiber neuropathy. Um, and then this really began the journey that I have been on up until this point now of sort of a journey of self-discovery, a lot of inner insight, and also just sort of realizing how, for lack of a better term, wrong our medical system is with treating systemic illness at all. Um, just everything is so backwards. I, I was told I would be on immune suppressing drugs the rest of my life. I found out in January 2021 that I had something called hypogonadism, which is basically, for lack of a better word, low testosterone, low T, um, which is you know not normal for a 20, then 24-year-old in 2021. Uh, and I was told that I have to be on hormone replacement probably the rest of my life. Um, I tried that for a while. It actually didn't even raise my numbers. Um, and so I just decided basically in 2021, I decided, you know what, I'm done going to doctors and I'm just going to try and dig into the research on my own. I'm going to 
find people that had successful journeys with autoimmune disease and I was going to do what they did. And I stopped my immune suppressing medication, which I don't advise to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Probably probably don't do that right off the bat, but I did uh, suffered the sort of withdrawal consequences of some of those. Um, But within about a year and a half after that, I had pretty much remission of those neuropathic symptoms and I seven X my testosterone all by myself. Wow. Um, without medication, which, which like, I'm still, when I think about it, I'm still honestly in partial shock that any of that was possible. I met so many great people in the health space. Um, shout out to people like Rebecca Farmer, who's at Taylor Keto Health on Instagram. Uh, shout out to people like Sean Baker, and 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 all of those people who are are doing some incredible work in the space with nutrition and and stuff like that. But um, that's sort of my journey in a nutshell, as far as discovering nutritional medicine and and lifestyle medicine. Um, and now I'm on this journey of getting my nutritional therapy practitioner certification so that I can help other people that are in my shoes, hopefully you know find their own path. And so that's sort of. Led, led me to my passion of like wanting to do this podcast with Tristan mm-hmm. um, and just sort of this whole idea of decentralization and getting as far away from anything that is common in society because right. I find it just to be so toxic. And I know this has sort of been your journey with homesteading and all this cool stuff that we talked about on on our podcast episode as well. But that's sort of my journey in a nutshell. Great. That's pretty great. So how did you turn it all around? How did well, you, how did you seven X your, uh, your T? So, so a lot of stuff, um, at a very basic fundamental level, um, I, I'm not going to lie. I should have done a really good job of like tracking things. I think it would have been much cooler to make videos about sure. if I had tried minus just tracking my T numbers from every few months I would go in. Um, I, I wish I had tracked harder core, my metrics of, uh, of of like the the precise like uh macros of what i was eating and also like um some other various things but i because of my eating disorder background i was trying to be as as little anal about it as i could be but still be calculated but mm-hmm. not in not in such an obsessive fashion that it potentially led me down a negative mindset path again because what I, what I found is, I, and I've talked to other people that had had eating disorder backgrounds, and then now have to deal with some of this BS, autoimmune stuff, and it's it's a tricky balance because you don't want to go down that path of eating disorder behavior and backtrack in a mindset sort of way, but you also can't just eat a bunch of crap, like they say in the eating disorder space. They use the term "all foods fit," mm-hmm. and truthfully, when you have an autoimmune disease and Honestly, general health, to be honest with you, I don't think that paradigm works for anybody. Um, like I said, my energy after I weight restored was like the worst ever. I would fall asleep at like 8 p.m. at night. By like 4 p.m., I'd be done. I like mentally just incapable of like doing work. And I never could figure it out why. And it was, I think I dumbed it down to these massive sugar swings I was putting myself on by trying to eat the standard American diet because that's what I was told was normal sure. in 2019. Um, and so for me, the way I turned it around was I did a lot of unlearning, uh, and especially in the eating disorder space, I had to tune all that noise out, ignore all the people telling me that, Hey, like, isn't this eating disorder behavior, blah, blah, blah. Because at the end of the day, what differentiates eating disorder behavior and 
in my mind, setting yourself up for, for as good longevity as possible is the reasoning behind the behavior, not necessarily the behavior itself. So you can work out, but are you working out because you want to burn calories? Or are you working out because you want to build muscle and prevent things like sarcopenia as you age? Are you eating whole foods because you're scared of a cupcake that'll make you fat if you eat one cupcake or because you know it doesn't serve your ultimate purpose and you know it does for me it legitimately flared my autoimmune symptoms like after i would eat like something with a lot of processed sugar mm-hmm. i would burn for like the next 24 to 48 hours so for me it did not serve purpose and so for me everything became what is the intention as far as mindset goes so for me mindset was probably the biggest shift i had to make because when you're in pain every day, it's very easy to just give up and go for the short dopamine hits of pleasurable food. Sure. Um, but for me, it's like I was 20, gosh, I was 23 when I first got my symptoms. I couldn't imagine living the next 50, 60 years of my life like that and just in deterioration mode. Mm-hmm. So for me, the mindset shift was the biggest thing. And then after that, it was really... Um, I tried several diets for three to six months. I tried, um, well, first I just went to Whole Foods and like basically gluten-free. I cut out like all grains and my energy began to improve then, but I didn't really feel any like differences in my pain. And at this time when I was trying this diet, I didn't try, I actually wasn't testing my testosterone yet. This was still 2020. So it was actually a year before I even knew I had hypogonadism, mm-hmm. um, didn't even know yet. So that was sort of what I first tried. And then Around the fall of 2020, beginning of 2021, I discovered Terry Walls, who has a very famous story of reversing her MS with diet alteration. Uh, she's she's pretty plant based, but she incorporates like things like she she's she's plant based, but I wouldn't say she's plant. She's not vegan, I should say. She's actually ex vegetarian, so she eats meat. She's very big a fan of of organ meats and stuff like that. So I started incorporating incorporating like. Uh, liver and uh, and a few things like that here and there. And that's where I really saw things starting to turn around. Mm -hmm. And that's when I got diagnosed with hypogonadism in January, 2021. And it was about summertime that I realized like, okay, I started feeling a little better. Um, I probably wasn't having like a level 10 of pain every day, but I was still not, I was still like tingling and all that type of stuff. And it wasn't, wasn't great. I was able to go back to the gym, which was nice. And that ended up being fruitful for, for my testosterone issues. Um, But I wasn't seeing it all the way. And that's actually when I found the work of Sean Baker, who I'd actually been, I had actually been told about a year prior from a good friend of mine in the carnivore space. His name's Ben. He's just a guy I met on Facebook who was in a carnivore group and he had reversed his uh, CIDP, which is uh, called chronic inflammatory uh, demyelinating polyneuropathy, which in a nutshell is basically MS, but without having lesions in your cervical spine or your neck, but it's Mm -hmm. still a depletion of myelin in your peripheral nerve. So it's still a myelin based autoimmune disease. So very similar to MS. And he had found great relief from that doing the carnivore diet. And he'd been trying to convince me to do it forever. But I was like, man, like, do I really got to do this? Like only meat thing. Like I like vegetables, like, like, like I genuinely, so, but, but I was like, you know what? F it. I'm not seeing all the progress I want. I'm going to try it for six months. And that's when the magic really started happening for me. Um, so it was and carniv- I, it was carnivore for six months. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. I will say this. I don't know. Well, 
I, I'll say this. I think the carnivore diet is extremely therapeutic. I don't know if it's quote optimal for like full lifetime longevity. I think everyone has a little bit of a bio individuality with that. But to me, like the true sign of health is not like, oh, you can have complete remission as long as I just eat meat. To me, complete remission should be like, okay, maybe animal foods are a base of your diet, but you should be able to eat some seasonal plants. Like Mm -hmm. if you are having a real adverse reaction, there's something else going on biochemically or you have some sort of toxin load that you haven't discovered yet that um, really you need to get ahead of. Um, Because at that point, you're still just managing your disease, which, hey, I would have settled for that. But I'm one of those people that... um, is infinitely curious. And so I didn't want to be stuck on that. And so that I did that for like six to eight months and that pretty much put me in, in remission as far as those things go. And that's when my testosterone really started to rebound. I think that was a combination of, of targeted, uh, weight resistance exercise. So like three times a week, going to the gym, lifting as heavy as my body would allow. I did have some soft tissue injury from anorexia, which is pretty common, having to rebuild a lot of lig- ligaments and stuff like that. And I'm still working on those things. So I couldn't like go there and squat like insane amounts of weight. But weight training a couple times a week, not overdoing it, focusing on my sleep. And we can talk about that in a little bit because I, I found sleep to maybe be one of the most therapeutic things in, in my journey and also people that I've worked with on a client level. Um, sleep is just imperative. And there's so many things we do to, to mess that up every single day. Um, and I, I never realized that I slept poorly before, but really what was happening was I felt like I was sleeping through the night, but I was just so exhausted that I would just pass out, but I wasn't actually getting restorative sleep. I was just passed out. Basically. I never got into deep or REM for any really therapeutic amount. So we can get to that sort of in a minute, but that's sort of where I saw my testosterone rebounding was focusing on, on weight resistance, um, nutrient dense foods. So like getting some organ meats in here and there, not going like crazy, like liver King style was never doing like daily liver raw or any of that stuff. Um, but, uh, eating a lot of fat, uh, protein, and then, uh, really focusing on rest and recovery on the days that I was not working out. So those are sort of like the, the broad 30,000 foot view things that I did to really turn things around. Um, but we can get into some of the specific nuances if you want. I think they're kind of fun. Yeah. I, I, kudos to you that, you know, you recognize that and got off of uh, testosterone. I mean, cause once you start that, I mean, every, every, it seems like, like everybody who's 40 years old now is on low T, right? Oh yeah. You're, you're fat. You don't exercise, but it's really as low T. So let's put you on testosterone and then you don't come back from that. Right. Testicles, no, and testicles shrink and then, you know, you're not going to come back. And now they got some guys that are like, um, taking Clomid or that, you know, that mm-hmm. the female, uh, um, fertility drug, because the side effect yeah. is it increase your testosterone. And it's like, oh yeah, if you're 50 years old, you take this Clomid stuff and it'll jumpstart your, your, you know, your testosterone again. And it's like, wait, you're going to, you're going to have you're going to have me take, um, female fertility drug. Yeah. I don't think so. Right. Yeah. There's, there's so much stuff. We had a really good conversation on the podcast with, um, someone named Zane Griggs who wrote a book called kicking ass after 50. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually subsequently, I bought that book for my dad for father's day (laughs) because, but, uh, but we talked a lot about hormone replacement and practical application. And I do think, I think there's a place for bioidentical hormones as a biohack, but it, it it really should not be looked at as a cure-all in any sense of the word. And it should be, um, really the last line of defense when you're trying to optimize hormone levels as you age, this would be like for men and women post 50, post menopause and then post 50 men, mm-hmm. as you want to sort of optimize muscle synthesis and stuff. And and the takeaway from that was like, there's a place for it if you really need it post 50, but you need to be doing all the fundamentals along with that. Right. My dad, for instance, is on testosterone for low T. He's in, he's going to be 60 in about a week. Um, and I was telling him actually yesterday night we were working out and I was telling him, I was like, you know, part of the reason you still feel like crap after doing tea for like a whole year is you, li- you literally aren't doing any of the other fundamentals. You still ate like crap. You didn't work out and you were just hoping that this would change stuff. And he actually felt no benefit from it, mm-hmm. but his numbers went up. The reason I actually went off testosterone was I never wanted to be on it. I knew of all those side effects and having to be relying on it and all this stuff. And um, for me, the reason I went off it so quickly was because I actually wasn't getting results. I was on, I was first, I was on a cream, a testosterone cream, which if you're going to do that, do a testosterone supplementation, never do a cream, never do a patch, never do a, uh, what they actually call it. It's a, it's a thing they put on your skin. They give you a pellet. Right. Those just like, just like in the literature, they just are not as effective, frankly. Uh, the cream sucked. So my testosterone didn't even go up like at all after a month of like applying this crap. Um, and that, and you don't want other people to touch it. It can cause a bunch mm-hmm. of problems. If you have a significant other, it's just like a huge mess. Right. So just don't do it. Um, so, I, so I convinced them to let me try a shot. So they gave me a shot that I'd have to do every week. And it was actually a pretty significant dose. I can't remember what it was, but it was like 0.4 cc. I don't know. It was, some, it was like, it was something pretty high, like higher than you should get, especially at 23. But sure. they were so concerned with my numbers my numbers for, for just, uh, for practical reasons, my, my total T was a hundred, which is well below the reference range. Um, and then my free T was like 11, which I believe the range is like, it's like 50 to like a hundred something. Right. Um, so mine was like, I mean, I was practically literally sporting like, like really good woman testosterone levels. (laughs) Like it was bad. Um, and I was on shots for two to two months or so, weekly shots. And my testosterone only went up to a total T of 240. Mm-hmm. So it went up 140 points. Going Taking like this like crazy dose right. of shot. It, it was insane that it was that low. So at did that you point, have I was the, just like... Did you have the, uh, the peak and the, you know, did you ride the wave since you were doing it once a week? Um, I honestly felt no, I felt nothing. Mm-hmm. I literally okay. felt nothing. Um, so then I went off and that's why I started doing this stuff. And that's actually when I started seeing like results and like my sex drive going up and then like uh, just just muscle growth in general. Um, I've never been like the bulkiest person I never planned to be, but like I had like the hardest time just putting on muscle at all. It was sure. just like, and, I, and in reflection, I probably was suffering from hypogonadism since 2015, 16 when I was 88 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I just never, no doctor ever thought to check it um, because sort of once you start looking better, even if you have an eating disorder, once you start looking better, they just kind of assume you're better. 
which is not the case. Like I still have to re I'm still rebuilding bone density. Um, and all these things are residual effects that I didn't even think about till years after the fact. So if you're one of those people and you're listening to this, it's like, you really should be getting these things checked regardless of your status. Um, because you could be having these problems years after and have no idea. And that could be the root cause of some of your issues. So, um, that was sort of a, a tangent. Funnily enough about the testosterone thing, I was talking to this guy that owns the gym that, that I work at. He's a has a bodybuilding background. And I was talking to him uh, when I first got diagnosed with this hypogonadism stuff about hypogonadism. And he was like, yeah, I got diagnosed with that when I was 19. And I was like, holy crap, a normal guy, 19 years old, has hypogonadism and now he's on shots for the rest of his life. And I was blown away by that. But that's because, and I, I didn't realize this till later, but like the environment we live in, like, like really, like, I'm sure you've seen like the the stats on like sperm count basically plummeting in in lower lower age males. Um, it's it's frankly because our environment sucks, our food sucks, we don't work out. Well, we're stuck in screen looking at screens all day. We never get outside. Uh, we got microplastics up the wazoo, and it's it's really like all of these things that are causing it. It's never like a A equals B, and that's sort of where I came to. Um, my own journey the last year or so is like, I definitely think things like carnivore and all the fundamentals, these are, these are therapeutic, but there's just so many things that we are fighting against that you're sort of fighting a losing battle. If you only look at it as the way to be healthy is what you eat and how you move, because there are plenty of people that do that and they still aren't finding the path. I think I luckily got pretty lucky with carnivore, but I know many people on carnivore that still are not all the way there. They may be 80% of the way there, but they're not a hundred percent and they can't figure it out. And that's because of these other things that I hope we get to talk about in a, in a couple minutes. Yeah, that's great. But, um, but, um, for me, the fundamentals of health sort of come down to a few things. Food's one of them. Movement's one of them. Uh, sunlight is one of them. I think, I think grounding and being in touch with nature is important just from, even if you don't, I mean, at, I mean, I could throw you plenty of literature about grounding now that I know more about it. Um, and actually we interviewed, uh, this guy you should reach out to if you're interested in the grounded athlete, uh, his name's, uh, Rob, a yeah. great guest. We had a really good conversation on our podcast recently about that about grounding and, and sort of systemic effects and how electrons uptake in the body and do all this cascade of crazy stuff. Um, but, but nature and then sleep, like, um, without sleep, you got nothing. And for me, when it comes to sleep, I think the biggest things honestly are for most people going to revolve around their light environment. And that's for me, I wake up every morning, I go outside, I, I wake up around sunrise I go out, I watch sunrise from about like 6.30 to sometimes I'm out there till eight, just kind of soaking it in, just like enjoying my cup of joe or whatever um, and, and and grounding. And then that really sets your, your circadian rhythm and that really primes your melatonin utilization at the end of the day for when you go to bed and it helps sort of get your cortisol in a place to where it can get back on its normal scale. Because I think for a lot of us, including myself, we just are riding this cortisol wave every single day mm -hmm. and couple that with like really bad blood, blood sugar control. And you're just a recipe for disaster. Um, and so 
fundamentally, it's like if you've removed a lot of processed foods, I think a lot of people can get better by just removing processed foods and focusing on on whole foods. You can get nitty gritty about it and eat seasonally like I do or whatever you want. But it's really about fundamentally um, eating more whole foods, I think, is like such a good first step for people. Um, I don't think everybody needs to go as crazy as, as I did with carnivore. If you suffer from an autoimmune disease or something that's more systemic, you know, it may behoove you to do something radical like that to get things moving in the right direction because you may just need more optimal mitochondrial f- function. I mean, mm-hmm. you, there's sort of the buzzword going around the community the last couple of years where every disease is uh, chalked up to mitochondrial dysfunction. And that's fundamentally true. Um, the reason for that would be probably individual to everybody. I mean, there's things like heavy metals. There's things like, uh, I mean, there aren't any nutrients in food. You could get into the nitty gritty of that. Sure. Um, but um, fundamentally, it's just like a lot of us are running around with with our toxic. Our, I, I sort of do use a bucket analogy. If we all have a bucket of how much toxin load we can handle, how much poor sleep, how much poor food, how much microplastics, like all the gamut of things. And most of us are running around, unfortunately, at some point in our life, usually it hits us middle age of where our bucket is now overflowing. And as fast as we can empty it, we can't empty it fast enough to which it is being filled. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think things like carnivore are so therapeutic for people is they're just removing so much stuff that they're able to empty their bucket faster than they fill it up. And then they're filling themselves with, you know, the most nutrient dense foods. And so it's sort of a win-win in that scenario. And the other thing that it allows you to do, and this is sort of the work of Dr. Jack Cruz, is a predominantly fat and meat-based diet actually allows your body to create more electrons in the electron transport chain and make more ATP, which is the energy currency of your body, your mitochondria. Yeah. If you have mitochondrial dysfunction, you can't make ATP regular or great. So carnivore is just like sort of a cheat sheet to doing that. So mm-hmm. it's 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 less so like, I think, I mean, part of it is removing like all the anti-nutrients, stuff like that. But I think that's a small portion of really the degree of now you're just simply making any energy more efficient. But as I've come to learn, um, only one third of your energy actually comes from food. Um, I actually forget where that quote comes from. We were interviewing a doctor named Dr. Stephen Hussey, who is, uh, he's a functional doctor, but he specializes in heart health. Um, we were talking to him and he was the one that, that sort of mentioned that quote to me and I had heard it before, but you actually make energy in, in a lot of different ways. You actually, mitochondrial speaking, you actually get some energy from light and then some energy from like your environment around you, things like grounding, stuff like that. Um, food is just like part of that story. That's why I think food is like, sort of like if you're building a house and your house is your health, food is like your basement. You've got the foundation of the house but you still got two floors to build. And then the rest of it comes from removing toxins, working on detoxing, um, light gang, light um, circadian optimization, just like light health, um, working on not being inside all day, uh, taking light breaks throughout the day. If you have a, you know, nine to five job, getting outside, eating lunch outside. Um, and then, and then I think sleep is one of those, those as well. Um, and I'm sure you get great sleep Baron, being where you live not being in the city and surrounded by all this junk light. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, still we have, uh, we have all the way up to the Zenith at night is light pollution. Right. So it's not like, uh, it's not like it's really dark. And, um, 
So you were talking about carnivore, you were talking about um, the nutrient dense food and eating whole foods. Give an example of like, what, what'd your weekend look like for, for what you ate? Oh yeah. This last weekend. Sure. Yeah. So pretty easy. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people where I don't, I'm not made of money. So (laughs) I don't, I don't eat like grass fed panda massage food uh, every day of my life. Now there is a benefit to that. And I do believe if you really look at it from a financial perspective, there's a lot of dumb stuff we spend money on. Right. Every one of my friends has like 10 streaming subscriptions for some reason. And they usually got each of them for one specific show. Right. And then once that's gone, they leave it there for a year before it comes back and they're paying 20 bucks a month and it adds up. Sure. Um, and so for me, if you look actually at my breakdown of like financial expenditure, food is actually like one of my highest things on there, but that's because I prioritize um, nutrient density. But I, I do, I do eat normal, like grain fed beef. Like I don't, I think in the scheme of like foods, there are far worse things that I could be putting in my body than, you know, a normal steak or whatever. Um, there are certain foods that you I generally always buy organic. If I'm buying berries or fruit in general, I will always get those organic just because those tend to be heavier sprayed pesticides. Um, and then the way I eat now is I sort of do, um, I eat the plant foods I eat are, are generally specific to what grows around me locally. So I go to a lot of farmer's markets, mm-hmm. um, eat a lot of, eat, I'm in Utah. So in the fall, eat more like things like squash right now. I'm kind of getting berries and like apples are going to be coming in this summer sure. um, and stuff like that. Um, so I have a higher carb based metabolism right now. Um, but I wasn't like that at all during carnivore. So like when I was doing carnivore, I was pretty, um, I didn't do the lion diet. I was trying to be as broad as possible. I knew that DHA was very important, especially for nervous system health mm-hmm. um, and, and brain health and stuff like that. And I knew that I had damaged those things through anorexia in my past. So I was really focused on uh, getting as much diverse animal protein as possible. Um, so I ate a lot of things. Like I ate a lot of lamb. Like this last week I ate, um, I got a good pair of grass-fed baby back ribs for actually a pretty good price. Um, I ate some ribs had a bunch of eggs. I usually do eggs every single day. It's a great source of choline, which you need for brain function. And I actually found out through um, doing a, a genome thing just through my um, 23andMe. And then I submitted it to another site that I really like called Genetic Life Hacks. They give you a breakdown of your, basically your genetic footprint and then what your SNPs mean. And they give you a list of your five top, like, quote, worrisome genes and then what to do about it. I happen to have a choline pathway deficiency, meaning eggs, for instance, are one of the highest source foods of the nutrient choline, which you need for brain health and a host of other things. Can't get it in any plant food. Yeah, neurotransmitter. Can't get it in any plant foods, really. Um, However, what a normal person could get their amount of choline with like two or three eggs a day. Um, I need to basically eat eight to get the same amount of choline as that person would get with three or four. Right. Um, so like double. So I eat between like six and honestly 10 eggs every day mm-hmm. <laughs> for that specific purpose. That's sort of unique to, to everybody. But I also was trying to get cholesterol because you need cholesterol as a precursor for hormones. And because low testosterone was an issue, I was, um, I was working with that. Uh, so I still do that every day. It's super fast, super easy. If you're busy, it takes honestly like five to 10 minutes to cook eggs. 
So I've pretty much converted all my family to doing that for breakfast every yeah. single day. So this weekend I had eggs for breakfast and then at lunch I had some ribs and then for dinner I've been sort of doing, uh, I've been kind of alternating my seafood around. So on Friday, uh, Whole Foods has a sale on oysters. You can get like a dollar an oyster. So you can get a dozen for 12 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I split that with my girlfriend just to up my zinc zinc levels. Cause again, when it's zinc for optimal hormones and, and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, that's sort of kind of a nutshell carnivore day for me. If I'm going to do it, if I do eat carbs, which I do during the summer, I sort of front load them around the morning and lunch meal or around a workout so that hopefully they're used for glycogen depletion or, or something around that. And then my last meal of the day is always, um, meat and fat predominant to help get, uh, I tend to have a better parasympathetic response, meaning my rest and digest state is better if mm-hmm. I tend to eat a higher fat meal uh, with some protein at night. Um, there's some stuff going around the community where they say a carb meal at night may help you sleep. And that may work, but I, they're kind of putting the cart before the horse on why that's working. What they're missing in that is that their light environment isn't optimized so that they're they're having these cortisol spikes in the middle of the night, most likely because they're surrounded by too much blue light during the day or artificial light from screens or TV or being in school or whatever, sure. or first thing in the morning, waking up and just staring at your phone. So that's why one of the first things I, I work on, honestly, with any of my clients that I work with now, um, which most of them are, are small fiber neuropathy clients that have been trying stuff and haven't gotten the full way uh, with just food. Um, what I have them do is that, honestly, the first thing I have them do, regardless of what they're eating, is optimize their their sleep environment and their light environment during the morning specifically. So hmm. if they can, I'm like, hey, go look at the morning sun. Uh, not directly. <laughs> I get comments about that all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, go, go stare at the sun and get cataracts. Thanks. Um, that's not what I mean. But like get morning light in your eyes. Take your glasses off um, because you have um, – a lot of those signals for for your melatonin are are triggered through your eyesight, so you, it's it's super important. Like you can you can eat all the clean food at, in the world, and you won't get all the way there. And ninety nine percent of the time, if that's the case, it's because your light environment's just not set up right. Um, and that's for a very basic level. Of course, people deal with with toxins and mold and all this crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like when you're building resilience, which is what my goal now is. Um, it's about mastering the fundamentals and then dealing with the nitty gritty afterwards. So whenever I work with someone, um, it doesn't really matter to me if you had heavy metal toxicity, if your diet's not clean, your light environment sucks and you like never go outside. You know what I mean? Um, of course detox is going to be important to that, but you're, you're honestly not going to get all the way there without those things. Um, so it's a, it's a really big fundamental and it's funny. I actually find the largest, I actually find the, the most difficult thing to get people to do, including myself in this was get outside more. <laughs> it, we're, 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 I feel like my generation specifically, like the Gen Z on the first gener on the first year of Gen Z, I was born in 96, um, which I hate even identifying with those people, <laughs> but um, the, we're so tech driven. It's like, I, I even feel it like getting on my phone. It's like such an addictive dopamine response that I even have to be cognizant of it. 
And I have rules where it's like, I can only check messages outside. And wow. after about 6 PM at night, um, it would be very rare that I get back to you mm-hmm. <laughs> because I just put my phone down unless it's like an emergency from a work thing or family member. I literally put it on airplane mode and I put it over on the desk across the room because I don't want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, those, those are probably the biggest things. And light pollution's hard, man. I mean, I live in Salt Lake city. Um, I've blacked out my room where like, you can't see outside. All the lights in my room are either red light bulbs or during the day I have a full spectrum UV bulb and I got some uh, incandescents, which are impossible to find now <laughs> yeah. that I've stored up uh, to try and minimize the the stuff. But nothing is going to be daylight. Um, I'm a huge fan of things like red light, for instance, but the best red light device is the sun. So it, it, it's funny. Um, there's so much biohacking gear out there, but at the end of the day, like 90% of the stuff you need, do I think get on the right track is like almost free except food. The rest of it's sure. like pretty cheap. Um, but it's hard to get people to do it. You know, people want to, want to get the fancy red light or the infrared sauna, uh, just so they don't have to go outside. Right. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah. I saw you using the uh, infrared during the winter time. Yeah. Yeah. So in the winter, um, uh, Right now I'm doing this sort of experiment because I've never done it before where I'm trying to get my vitamin D as high as I can naturally during the summer without getting burned and going crazy in the sun, Um, but trying to optimize it every day so that in the winter I can hopefully maintain enough vitamin D that I don't need to supplement because that's like ideally what we would do evolutionarily. Um, But if need be the case, I do have a vitamin D lamp and then the way I use that is I set up my red light next to it with the vitamin D lamp. And then you get the full spectrum as close to the full spectrum of light as you can. Right. Um, so that you can still make vitamin D. Vitamin um, D lamp. So what's that like? Yeah. So it's basically, um, I think you can actually get it on Amazon now. When I got it, it wasn't on Amazon. It's it's called the Spurdy vitamin D lamp. Mm-hmm. Um, it's similar to what they use in tanning booths, but a little bit different. Sure. But basically the idea is it's, it's mimicking the UVA wavelengths of light that trigger sulfation of cholesterol in your skin to make vitamin D, mm. um, with magnesium. So, um, but the way to optimize that is like, you really need to do it with the infrared and red light wavelengths too, to sort of mimic that full day sun. So actually if you were trying to go balls to the walls, which I definitely wasn't last winter cause we had such a brutal winter out here, um, is you would actually take your vitamin D lamp outside and do it with the sun in the background. So you're still mm. getting the red wavelengths in, in addition to the UVA, you'd, you'd still make vitamin D either way, but it'd be more optimal to, to do it like that or with a red light. So mm. I just did it with a red light inside. And what's cool about it is uh, with the spurty lamp, you only need uh, to do about five minutes of it to, mm. to five minutes basically mimics about 15 to 20 minutes of natural uh, full spectrum sunlight. So it's pretty cool. Like it's, it's not obviously perfect, but it's pretty close to what you're going to get in the winter. Uh, especially if you didn't do your due, dil- due diligence in the summer. Um, that's a good biohack. And uh, my vitamin D was actually pretty good last winter doing that. I think I had, um, the range is like 30 to a hundred and mine was like 48 by the end of winter, which, you know, isn't amazing, but it wasn't deficient. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, so that's, that's definitely one of those things. So you mentioned magnesium and and stuff. I've I've seen a big difference taking magnesium glycinate at meals oh, yeah. and then at bedtime. 
not the citrate the citrate sucks and gives you diarrhea but the okay. um you know so what's your uh what's your take on on magnesium and what some some of the supplements that you um take yeah supplementation is a really tricky thing i think a lot of people do it without intention um and don't really know sorry there's a little bee trying to mess with me man come on no. um <laughs> there's a but I, I think a lot of people supplement without fully really understanding what they're doing they just hear something's good for them so then they take it and it's not necessarily a targeted approach mm -hmm. um with clients i take a pretty minimalist approach um once I get my NTP, I'll have like a better ability to create supplement protocols and stuff like that. Uh, right now, just for for covering my butt and also just because sometimes I don't know if it serves a purpose, I keep supplements pretty minimal. But magnesium is one of those that I do believe like 99% of people are, if not deficient, suboptimally, um, suboptimally have. Sure. Um, and that's just due to living high-stress lives. When you're stressed out, you use up more magnesium and it's used for like, as you know, like literally like 400 plus enzymatic functions, like in the body, like you literally use magnesium for everything. Right. In fact, if you don't have enough magnesium, you're not going to make enough vitamin D because you need magnesium to help sulfate cholesterol and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, um, I'm a fan of supplementing it. I think glycinate's great, especially for sleep. Um, so usually that was one I was on for, for a long time. I would take it like with meals. And then sometimes like before bed. Right. And you'd be surprised, man. Some people need a lot of magnesium to even like make a dent. Mm -hmm. um, I like that one. Uh, sometimes magnesium chloride's okay in uh, sort of a liquid dropper form for people. Um, but yeah, glycinate's good. And then theanate. I can't, there, there's a bunch of different forms. I believe theanate is for brain health and it crosses the blood brain barrier. I might be getting that one wrong. So someone fact check me on that one. Um, it's theanate or like, there's another one that, that is more for brain health focus. But as far as sleep goes, like glycinate from what I understand is like the best one. And that's usually what I like recommend to people. Um, and I've even taken myself. So magnesium is one of those. Uh, that's probably the most common as far as supplements go. Um, I do other things too, to try to optimize that. Like I use magnesium spray, mm -hmm. um, sometimes, and then also, so is that like just like a, almost like a banaca type spray yeah. in your mouth? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do that like uh, sub, I always pronounce it wrong. It's like subliminal or subliminal, something yeah. like that. Sublingual. Where you do it under the tongue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sublingual. That's what it is. Under the tongue. Um, and then uh, I'm a fan of things like Epsom salt baths and stuff mm. like that. Or if you live near the ocean, like dump yourself in the ocean. Right. Um, probably won't make or break, but you do get a little extra from that because you do absorb some stuff through your skin. Sure. So, um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of that, especially if you're somebody that like is in a high stress, like work environment, like magnesium is going to be like pretty critical to you to help make sure that you have enough parasympathetic flow uh, right. throughout the day. So definitely yeah. a big one on that. Um, other things that I supplement with, um, potentially things like glycine. Mm -hmm. Um, I know in the carnivore space, if you eat a lot of muscle meat and you're not a fan of bone broth or you're not eating collagenous tissue or tendons, which I actually enjoy those parts. I'll chew on like a, th a chicken thigh bone or a chicken drumstick. I'll just chew the collagen like straight off. Like the, the it's so good. But some people hate that. Um, actually, or if you eat skin, uh, that's a good way to get collagen too. Um, I always source my chicken because those tend to be like some of the dirtier birds if they're not like well raised and like free range or pasture raised and stuff. 
Right. So those are ones I do care about. But um, I do sometimes uh, have people supplementing glycine. I supplemented glycine for a while because when you eat a lot of muscle meat, you tend to get a lot of the amino acid methionine, which mm-hmm. you do need for things like methylation. But methionine and glycine uh, tend to need to balance each other out. And if you're eating muscle meat, you're not getting hardly any glycine. So that can actually become a little bit of an imbalance and be a little, you know, I don't know if inflammatory is the right word, but it can, it can be suboptimal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I supplement glycine. It's also good for sleep. So something to think about with sleep is like magnesium glycinate, glycine. Um, uh, and there's another supplement that I can never pronounce. It's like Inzitol or something like that. Yeah. Inzitol, uh, yeah. yeah. That's another one that's pretty, pretty famous for sleep, but glycine or collagen powder is usually what I used to do. Mm-hmm. I always, I always get like grass fed, uh, collagen powder, uh, great lakes makes a good, uh, has a good brand. And also like vital proteins isn't bad, but it's not the best either. Cause it's made from, uh, bovine like hoof. So it's not like the best part of the collagen, but right. just drink bone broth, like drinking bone broth. Like one of the best things you can do for like your gut lining, sure. um, just like all that stuff. So glycine collagen and like vitamin uh, and, um, and uh, magnesium are probably the only really three things that I find to be like wide range, fundamentally applicable to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are sort of my general recommendations that yeah, I find do, people to uh, be. Oops, sorry, cut you off. So oh, uh, no, you're good. do you do um, like coconut oil or MCT oil or anything like that? I, so I never have, but my business uh, partner I work with, he's a stage four cancer survivor hmm. during his, uh, he had dynamic cancer twice. Um, he had a reoccurrence that was supposed to be terminal and, uh, he, he basically, uh, reversed to doing a bunch of stuff, but like he was like really heavy keto for a long time and to push his ketones up to be in therapeutic ketosis, he used MCT oil a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I never had a really big problem pushing ketones really high. Um, if that's something that you care about. So I never used MCT oil, but that is a good way to hack that especially in the beginning if you're somebody that's insulin resistant um it's a good way to sort of kickstart that so i do think it's applicable for some people but for me i i never was super metabolically unhealthy so i was i like i got into ketosis pretty fast naturally I, I found out before i went carnivore that i could get pretty high ketones and still eat like a decent amount of carbs like some people can't even have like 30 grams of carbs and and be in like deep ketosis but I could eat like up to 80 grams and I was still like getting a fasting uh, ketone level of like above one, which was like pretty wild. Um, but yeah, I, I do think they have a place. So it's a little context dependent. So I think if you're like trying to really kickstart ketosis, I think it could be beneficial. Um, I do know Tristan uses like uh, when he goes hiking for like performance, um, he uses like a combination of like methylene blue, MCTs, uh, or ketone esters to like really drive like mitochondrial function when he goes right. up hiking into higher elevations. So that's sort of a little bi hug that hack there to sort of keep oxygen high. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, MCTs are great. So what's uh what's methylene blue? I saw him post on that, but I didn't know what that was. So yeah, so I'm I'm hardly the expert. I do use okay. it in in a very basic, non-expert definition of what it is. Um it's basically it's probably the most famous pharmaceutical like compound you've never heard of. It's literally been around since like the 1870s. It's in like every hospital. Um, they use it to treat malaria in Africa. It's an antiviral. It's an anti uh, 
parasitic. Um, But on a fundamental level, level, what it does is it basically helps you make ATP easier, Mm -hmm. helps you make uh, energy easier in the mitochondria by skipping a process in the electron transport chain. I'll hard. That's kind of where I'm going to stop as far as the definition goes. We did a podcast with um, a guy named uh, Vance um, on methylene blue, and he's probably he knows about it so much more uh, than me. I'll give you his Twitter handle if you want to put in the show notes for people sure. that want to check it out. Um, but at the end of the day, it's 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 basically just kind of a biohack to help your body um, make ATP more efficiently. And if you're somebody that's sick, it can be great because. When you're when you're not making ATP, this can help sort of jumpstart it for you, mm-hmm. jumpstart your mitochondria. So I use it a couple of times a week. You can get it in dropper form. You can get it in like sort of a lozenge form that you put up in your cheek and it dissolves. But it's super low dose. Don't use it every day. Um, but yeah, it's really cool. It's a really cool compound. So I'll kind of point you to him for for more info on it. But yeah, check out that. And then my friend uh, Tristan wrote a really crazy thread about it where it just blows my mind <laughs> like yeah this, that kid knows a lot of stuff yeah yeah what what do you think about uh so i've seen a big change in grass-fed beef lately so the government must have changed the criteria or something because it's been increasingly crap right you know oh really yeah and uh i think like spirico said that they changed something now where somebody can have a uh a regular fed cow and put them on grass for a week and then they can call it grass fed right oh those are those are the new sort of rules that's the new rules and then um one of the so yeah i back in my uh early career in it i worked for a meat company and so like the midsection of the country almost all the beef is young cows Mm -hmm. and then uh on the east and west coast it's almost all dairy cows that are mm-hmm. past milking and you know ancient and stuff so they're they're getting uh they're getting processed and slaughtered that's where all the mcdonald's and the wendy's plants are oh, yeah. Yeah. and uh you know so uh you see a big range there so some of those are getting into the grass-fed supply chain and they're not really all that great they're just you know <laughs> dairy cows that are all worn out right yeah I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of messed up stuff and we may have even, we might've even talked about it a little bit with you, but there's so much stuff messed up with labeling, like, especially with mm-hmm. like organic, sure. like it's very, it's actually not too difficult to get something labeled organic. Right. So it's like, that's why it's like, you can go to the store or even pasture raised, like you see all these terms. So like, there's like pasture raised pork, you'll see at Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that it was like, like it still probably was fed like corn and soy or something. Like, <laughs> like you don't, mm-hmm. you don't know. That's why honestly, like if you really want to cut if you really want to be anal about it and you really want to get the best of the best, which there is actually a massive difference. Like I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen sort of some of the tweets from people like Stefan Van Fleet, where there's like in really good source grass fed beef, I believe it was the beef from, um, uh, a regenerative farmer up in Wyoming that this, this, uh, percentages came off of, but, uh, hundred percent grass fed, grass finished. It was like 80% more amino acids and like a thousand times more phytochemicals Mm -hmm. in grass fed beef. Um, so if you really want to make sure you're, you're sourcing well, like you really got to go either one straight to the source, like go to your farmer's market, talk to the farmers, um, find like your local butcher, see where they get their meat. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I would do. Like I would straight up just stop buying meat from the store unless you really want to dig into the research. And I would just go to the farmer's market every week 
and right. get beef from them or go straight to the farm. I mean, yeah. uh, we have a friend uh, um, up in Cody, Wyoming, AJ Richards, who's actually working on an app right now to help sort of be the middleman for people wanting to source their beef, but without having to like find the the farmer themselves, they can go on this app and they'll, they'll hook you up with their closest local farmer. Mm-hmm. Or if not, they'll hook you up with someone in Wyoming to ship the meat directly to you. Um, so that's pretty cool. Cause then you at least know what you're getting because yeah, like all this labeling stuff is like getting super messed with. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's still going to be better than going to Taco Bell or going to McDonald's um, and all that stuff where everything's cooked in seed oils and all this crap. Right. Is it, is it not as optimal as it could be? Yeah. But, but it's still in my mind, I try not to get too lost in the semantics, especially when I think sometimes I think when you're sick, sometimes worrying about one thing can actually make it worse than like the thing itself. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like, if you're really working on your fundamentals and you're focusing on like predominant, like you're getting a lot of predominantly animal foods in, it's all whole foods based, you're getting sun, getting grounding in, you're trying to remove your toxin loads, you're working on like detoxing with like sauna or something like that. Um, and you're trying to like work on your stress and the mental health aspect of everything. I still think you can make a lot of, make up a lot of dividends. Um, but yeah, it is kind of crazy. Like all that stuff going on because, um, you just can't trust stuff. You mm-hmm. can't go to the store and you really can't trust anything. Even the, I mean, even organic fruits and vegetables, some of those still have like basically pesticides on them, but they're just labeled organic now. Yeah, they're um, the so acceptable. Like, yeah. Right. So when yeah. you see organic apples, they don't look like my apples. My apples are all lobular and they got bugs mm-hmm. and stuff, right? These are still perfect. They just use something that is the acceptable organic, right? Yeah. That whatever yeah. spray they have this year is still considered organic. Next year, it'll be out loud again, right? So, yeah, yeah. And I and I kind of use this analogy too with like uh, berries and stuff. It's like when you find I've gone, I've never gone hardcore foraging, but my my uh, my girlfriend's brother's into foraging, so we've gone mm-hmm. a couple times and look for berries and stuff, and mushrooms and all that stuff, which be very careful with that. Sure. It's very easy to mess up. <laughs> yeah. But, um, we, but I, I, one of the first things I noticed is like we would found, we found raspberries out up in the mountains and they're significantly smaller than even organic raspberries at the store. Mm-hmm. And that's just because like one, I mean, soil is different. Water is different. Um, but like what you find in nature, you're not going to find at the store. Like it's right. very, very difficult. So like, just cause something's labeled organic or whatever, don't assume that it's flawless because it's probably not. Is it still better? Probably. But, you know, you just got to remember that, like, nothing beats, like, homegrown stuff uh, that you can do. So I'm, like, a big fan of, like, we have a garden over here. I don't know if you can see it. Kind oh, of that's nice. There. Yeah. Yeah. We got a garden going on. We got some, uh, man, well, we got a bunch of stuff. We got squashes. We got pumpkins. We got watermelon. We got raspberries over there. We got tomatoes. Um, and I got all these seeds from the farmer's market. So mm-hmm. these are things that it's like plan ahead as much as you can. Um, and it, it's pretty simple. It's just like, it takes some effort, but I, I, I find it really rewarding. And I know you do all this stuff too. And right. on our podcast, when we talk to you, it's like, you know, you might suck at it the first couple of years, especially if you're getting into sort of that homestead culture of like kind of living off oh, yeah. a bit and then growing all your stuff. You're going to, you're going to mess up royally. 
mm-hmm. a couple times. Um, so I'm I'm start I'm trying to practice. We've talked to some people in the space, and I'm like, you know what? Um, I, I don't know if I'm ready for like going balls to the walls, but my my girlfriend's grandma has has chickens over there, so we started getting them on a more pasture. Uh, uh, fed fed. We're trying to let let them out and roam and eat bugs and all that stuff, not just feed them like crap. So doing that over there, trying to get some eggs going, and sure. uh, got my garden going, and you gotta start somewhere. So it's all right. that stuff. That sounds good. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Great. Well, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate you being here this evening and sharing some of your tips. Totally, man. Anytime. Give some uh, plug for for your podcast and and some of your website. Yeah, totally. So you can find me um, at Ryan Mitchell Brown, Mitchell spelled with one L, uh, at Instagram, um, on 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 TikTok. I'm at Keto Ryan. And then my website is ryanmitchellbrown.com. It's also on my Instagram. And then if you want to listen to our podcast, you can listen to our episode with my man right here uh, at Decentralized Radio on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, all the good places. And uh, I really appreciate it, man. This is a fun conversation. You bet. Thanks. And check out Thriver News. It's thriving community news without the noise. It's where Perpet and I have more long-form articles about different topics, including homesteading, intentional living, For example, some of the things we've had here is how to make comfrey salve or balm on the fly, Uh, the challenge of being present, basically musings from around the fire pit, teaching kids that failure is an option, a food forest walkthrough of year three, what worked and what didn't. So check it out at thriver.news. And if you like this episode, consider joining the Thriving Patreon, where you can get early episodes, extras, outtakes, eBooks as well as lots of bonuses. That's at patreon.com slash thrive in the future. Next time on Thrive in the Future podcast... Coming up on Thrive in the Future, we have Mike Thomas from Catholic Land Movement, and then Perpin and I get together and talk about community versus networking. How many of you are building community, and how many of you are just networking? That's coming up on Thrive in the Future.